This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. For those people that heard last week's show, you may have heard me close with, I've got a question, but we're running out of time. So I want to I kind of get right into it. This is not a continuation of the previous show, but it was something that popped in my mind that was a little bit off-topic. But I'm curious about what you think about this, Taylor. And I have no idea what he's going to ask. So who? <laughs> <laughs> so, so here we are. I mean, we, we were talking about the whole idea of, of description. And I – you gave lots of examples of, of description in last week's show. And we've all read things where there's too much description. And we've all read things where there's – not enough description, and there's just the right amount of description. And I wonder sometimes, I know I've written things myself where I get I get to the end of the descriptive phase and I think, that is perfect. That just absolutely nails this scene, and anyone who reads this can see it on the, on the screen. It's as though there was a camera there. It's perfect. And I've had things like that where people like you will say, that's too much description. And that got me thinking about that old, I don't know, I think the first time I read it was in was a Stephen King thing, but I, I don't know if he's the one who actually came up with it, but the whole idea of killing your darlings. Mm, yeah. So your darlings can, it, it's easy to think in terms of, well, your darling is this character or this house or this romance or this uh, car or... It, it could also be this description. And so I, I thought it would be interesting to just talk about the whole idea of killing your darlings and, A, how difficult that is, and, B, why it's important. Okay. That's great. Yeah, let's do that. And now here's where we turn it over to Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just kidding. But I mean, we have all had situations, and Taylor, you, you talk about Europe, you write long, so you always have to cut things out when, yeah. you're, when you're done. I have a tendency to write short, although some of what I write just needs to be ripped out just because, and there, you know, there are oftentimes things that, I, that will just go through the whole book, and there's, there's one in the Reggie thing that it's just like, I never should have put that in, and it... it it's part of the last two-thirds of the book. And it's like I, I almost – it's like I need to leave it because it would be too much work to take it out. And you know, I don't know whether that's a darling or not. It's kind of like it was kind of cute when I did it, and now it's like, I don't know. It's too much work to take it out. And then there are the other situations where this is this is exactly what I want this to be, and – well, I, here's an example. Here's an example for people who heard when we did the hack the craft of I, was it the second scene in the in the Reggie book, and Taylor eviscerated some of what I had done. I didn't eviscerate. It was I was eviscerated, <laughs> and 
there were bits of that that's like, that's exactly the way I wanted it to be. And I'm just, in my mind, I'm fighting with you as you're talking. And again, you know, the whole thing of killing your darlings, because in my mind, it was perfect. In your mind, it was so far from perfect that it was it needed to be changed. We'll just leave it at that. It needed to be changed. And, you know, at, at the whole, this whole sense of killing your darlings because I had this thing that I thought was clever and you described it in, in ways – you described it as offensive. And so clever for me was offensive for you and you represent lots of other people. <laughs> There well, might be ten percent of the people would go, "Oh, that's really clever," and ninety percent of the people would go, "Whoa, what is up with that guy?" I didn't say it was offensive. I said it could be seen as offensive to yes. some people. But I mean that that was a great point. It's like, why is this in here? It's not adding anything to the story. It needs to come out, and you know, you're killing your character by having this stuff in there. So. This idea that I had that I thought was clever was wrong, and it needed to be eviscerated, (laughs) (laughs) exercised, (laughs) exercised. All right, so there is a quote by Neil Gaiman, which I'm going to completely botch here because I don't have it memorized, but it goes something along the lines of when people tell you that something is not working in your story, you should listen to them because they're probably right. When they tell you how to fix it, they're probably wrong. When I tell you how to fix it, I'm not saying it's how it should be done. I'm saying this is how I would do it. The other thing I think he said, I think it was him, might have been somebody else who said that um, never take advice about your characters or your your writing from people who are not, um, don't have anything at stake in the outcome. But it's really easy for people to offer advice when they don't have to pay the price for how that advice turns out in the end. People can actually be very flippant about advice. So when I offer advice on this show, I don't really have any stake in the outcome in the sense that it's not my name on the book of what's being published. So to that extent, take it with a grain of salt. But I do have a stake in the outcome in the sense that if I give bad advice or if I I personally rewrite something that the vast majority of our listeners and readers disagree with, it comes to reflect very badly on me. So I'm highly motivated to give the best advice that I'm capable of giving and do rewrites that I feel would provide the best foot forward on that material, regardless of whether I have a stake in your final outcome, there still is a stake in my final outcome. It's just not the same stakes. So to that extent, I'm not flippant with advice. So you kind of have to take it either with a grain of salt or understand that, yes, I'm coming from the best place that I can, but I'm not you. It's not my name on that book. You take what I offer and then you turn around and decide how you want to interpret it for yourself. I need to put that caveat in there just to remind people that my way is not the only way. And the advice I give on this show is really only my opinion. It might be an experienced opinion, 
but it's still just my opinion. Well, but let's just, for the purposes of, of, of this topic here, let's just assume that you were right, because that's what I did. I assumed that you were right. I feel that's giving far too credit to me far too easily, but okay. <laughs> now, I wouldn't say it was easy. You put a lot of work into it. and No, you, you are giving over that credit far too easily. In other words, you know, whoa, put up a bit of more of a fight here, buddy. I can't right now because it's, it's too far in the past. But, um, I mean, the point, the point is, I mean, this, the whole idea of this cuteness thing that I had going didn't fit in this kind of a book. And it fit in a different kind of a book, but that's not what this is. And if I had tried to combine two different types of books, it would have, it, it, it would have been a confusing mess, and it was kind of a confusing mess. And uh, and hopefully it, it, it will get better um, being a little bit more targeted in terms of potential audience. But that is an example of killing your darlings because my darling was this cuteness which can't really be in this, in this book. It didn't convey well in that book. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about darlings. Well, you know, what is a darling, you know, and – the the first time I ever heard that phrase was in Stephen King's On Writing, his amazing book on writing. It's um he didn't coin the phrase. Uh, I I know uh, there's a history to it, and I don't know the history, but apparently some some version of that phrase has been around for a hundred years or or not or so. There was somebody hundred years ago who said murder your darlings, um and so you know what is what is your darling and. I, I know some people, like you said, can think of it as characters or, you know, particular choice phrases of words or maybe purple prose or whatever, things that you've written that you think are just especially brilliant. And I've always, the, the takeaway that I came from it, reading that, is it is anything in your writing that you become particularly attached to for reasons other than it belongs in the story. So... When it comes to killing your darlings, my question always is, why is this in the story? If, if somebody is suggesting that you take something out or you're sitting there feeling like you should take it out, but really having a fight with yourself, it's the same question I ask about anything that I'm struggling with in the stories. Why is this here? What is this meant to convey? Is this conveying the job that it it should like there have been times that I've had really good character interactions that are fun to read or whatever in the story that they just they didn't really serve a, a purpose like it was just extra it was added in and it it sucks when you put a lot of effort into creating something that is fun to read and then have to get rid of it pull it out but that's darling you're attached to it but not for any particular reason that pertains to the story. Um, you might have a character that is in the story because you have a reason, a personal reason beyond the story of wanting to have a character like that in the story. And you feel like maybe that character deserves more representation. Maybe it's someone based off your grandpa who was, you know, in World War II and you just, you loved your grandpa's World War II story so much and you feel like the world would be better off having that memorialized in some way. And so 
by the time you get to the end of the story, you realize that Grandpa was kind of just an extraneous character. He didn't really add a whole lot. He was just there. And he's there for you. He's not there for the readers, not there for the story. That's a darling. You're not saying kill your grandpa, but maybe <laughs> kill his representation in your story, you know? Um, so a darling can be anything. A darling can be, um, it can be a particularly beautiful descriptive phrase. It can be a character that you love. It can be um, words that you tend to overuse. Um, you know, you just, it's, it's your particular style, but that style tends to repeat itself too often. It could be anything that you are attached to that doesn't serve the story. Okay, so when you first read the phrase, kill your darlings, in the Stephen King book, what that was early on in your writing career, right? That was yes. when you were trying to figure this whole thing out. Did you did you feel like you had a darling in in what you were working on at the time, which was probably the informationist? No, I've never really felt like I had darlings in that sense. Only because um, I've never come into this with this idea of artistic license, or you know, this gr idea of myself as being something. Um, other than just, hey, I want to tell this story. And so um, the times that I've balked at editors' suggestions of cutting this or cutting that, it's not really been so much because I was enamored with that piece or that character, but because the amount of work they were suggesting. If it was just cutting something out, that's fine. But like, maybe you could change this to be this or whatever. The amount of work involved in restructuring, unless it was actually going to make the book better, the story better, would actually serve the story. I did. I saw that as their darling. Like, why are you trying to insert a darling into my story? <laughs> um, but so I, I don't know that I've had darlings that I was knowingly aware of. I'm pretty brutal about cutting out stuff that I feel doesn't belong. And and with this last one with Liar's Legacy where I had to cut out 20,000 words, I was just on a I was just like it doesn't belong, get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it. So there weren't a lot of darlings involved there. Um, how about technology and, and research because you're a, you spend a lot of time researching things and technology changes. You're very kind in describing my procrastination of research. <laughs> Um, has that ever happened where, like, the world of technology has changed over the course of a year or something, and this cutting-edge thing that you really wanted to put in your story, knowing that the story won't be out for another year, that you just have to rip it out even though you spent a lot of time on it? I did have that sort – well, for me, it's not that I'm – it's not that, oh, my God, I'm in love with this technology. I want this technology to be here. It's more a case of I've written all of this involving that talking technology. Holy crap, I do not want to have to go redo all that work. So the only time that really, really came up was with Liar's Paradox, and that was with the Black Phone. And there was a really fun backstory with the Black Phone. Um, I, I've talked about it in other places, but it's been a while since I think we've discussed it on the podcast. And that was that um, it's not like you can you could walk into a store at any given time and pick up a black black phone and play with it to get a sense of how it works. And it was a very unique phone in the sense that it was four phones within a phone and each one of those phones was sandboxed. And each one of those, so like you could have your Facebook apps on one and your 
contacts on another and your whatever apps on another, and you could run Facebook and not worry about it data grabbing and siphoning in all your contacts. You could keep them completely separate. So it was a sandbox phone. And at the time, it was the, I guess, one of the most secure phones around in terms of enterprise, uh, you know, supporting big enterprises who needed to keep their uh, communications encrypted and uh, protecting the data from falling into the hands of people they didn't want to go into and stuff. And it, it had its own software. It was Android-based, whatever. It was a really, really cool phone. And so I wrote the owners of the company basically saying, hey, I'm, I'm an author and I would like to be able to, uh, you know, handle this phone. Do you have any distributors in Dallas or whatever that I could just actually see it? And then they were like, well, actually, one of our, um, their C-level people lived in Dallas. And they're like, you know, he'd be happy to meet you. So I did. I met with him and he handed me his phone and showed how it worked and I fiddled around with it. And I, I just needed to, to get a sense of it. To, you don't want to describe something wrong. You know, and it's, I just needed I couldn't find the information anywhere else. So I went to the source. It was great. It was fun. And by the time I had, you know, it took a long time to get that book sold. And then it took even longer before it went to print. And shortly before it went to print, I started when I was going through some of the copy edit process, I started looking into things just to make sure everything was still, you know, current and I found out that black phone had been discontinued and I was like well crap because <laughs> that would require a lot of rewriting to restructure the whole scene structured around it um that was more than just showing off the technology it was character in motion as we've talked about before um the character was using that technology as a vehicle to process their, you know, going through their thoughts, their analysis about one of the other characters. And the, the phone was the vehicle through which all of that, that went. And there, it wasn't like I could just come up with another phone that did the same thing. So I wrote around that and, and I saved myself the heartache. I didn't kill the darling. I aged the darling. And I basically put in there that it used to be the most secure phone on the market. Now you could only get them, you know, on the secondhand market and blah, blah, blah. And I just kind of caught the the phone up with the times of what its current status was. And that's the closest I've ever gotten to having a technological darling and almost having to kill it. And it really wasn't about the phone. It wasn't that I needed to show off that phone so bad. It's that I didn't have something to replace it with, you know, an equivalency. I would have if I could have, but there wasn't. So interesting, interesting. So that that was what I I didn't think that you would be that you you would feel that your prose was so precious that you couldn't take something out, but as you said, your procrastination, your your willingness to go out on the road and meet with people and and, oh. and learn about this technology, that takes time. That's an investment of time. It is, and it would have been sad to have lost it for that. But it, it, it so maybe maybe some people would say I'm you know equivocating here, and really it is a, it is a darling that I didn't get rid of. But to me, it was more about the work than and the and the structure of the story as it currently was than it was about a particular thing that I felt really needed to be in there. Okay, so let's say that there are people out there listening who who don't have someone like you who can look at the work and say, you need to think about this, or editors, on the other hand, who might say, you need to pull this out, but they're looking at their, at their manuscript. Is there a way that you can think of uh, to isolate things that could be darlings that need additional thought? 
Well, I would think that beta readers are probably your first line of defense on that. You know, you get your feedback and like Neil Gaiman said, um, if they tell you that something's wrong, not working for them, you should probably listen, pay attention. But when they try and tell you how to fix it, that's when you ignore them. Um, I can't, I can't tell you the number of times people have, even editors, um, have told me, uh, how to fix something. And, uh, it was a lesson that I learned very early on in the stage uh, in my process of writing and, and getting feedback is, and it was before I'd read that quote, by the way, um, when they told me something was wrong, or they suggested an edit, I took that as there's a problem here that needs work. Their solution, unless I my gut was telling me their solution was right, I, I pretty much ignored their solution and I just did how I wanted to do it to address the concern. Um, because very few people are gonna have your voice, very few people are gonna have your style of writing. Um, very few people, even editors, are gonna be fully keyed in to how that particular beat uh, intertwines with everything else. I also have found in, in along this journey is that when there is a problem, it is a tendency of people to offer incredibly complex ways <laughs> to solve it. And seeing as how I'm the one who's going to have to do the work, that's a darling I'm going to kill right then and there. Um, I will look for the easiest way to do it that will require the least amount of disruption to the story. And I've gotten quite good at that, if I dare say so myself. And to the point now where when people start offering suggestions, I can actually feel the anxiety well up in my gut. That's almost an anger. And it's not the anger that how dare they offer suggestions. It's like, you're so wrong. You're so wrong. Not that it needs to be fixed, but how could you give me such a complicated solution when the easy one is right there? How can you not see this easy solution? But that's my own issues. You know, it, it's when you, when you become very skilled at something and then someone comes along and tells you how you should do it instead, it can be very frustrating. So I've, I've learned that uh, killing the darlings doesn't necessarily necessarily require elaborate murder. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> killing the darlings is not so much killing them as sedating them or moving them to a different place or realizing that the, the true reason that you love them simply isn't showing up on the page. Maybe there's some information missing. And sometimes the darlings can stay. You just need to give them a different outfit and uh, reframe them as something else. And then all of a sudden they don't seem like darlings anymore. They seem like they actually really do belong in the story and the purpose is, is there. So uh, yeah, it, it's not always as straightforward as just delete, delete, delete. It, but it really always boils down to why is this in the story and is the purpose for it being into the story clear enough on the page that at least the majority of readers are gonna get it. I love that term, sedating your darlings. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I, I think we have covered the topic. Not as well as Stephen King would. I, I don't, well, he actually covered it in, in like four lines in, on writing. But uh, 
it's something that's discussed constantly, and so it's it's obviously because of that, it, it's something that we all need to be aware of, the fact that there are these darlings out there, and they can very easily creep in and and lessen the value of our stories. I, I think there's, yeah, that, I, I was go. my brain was going the same place there as, as you were, is something that kind of got missed in this discussion is why are you killing them in the first place, you know? Just because you love something doesn't mean it has to go. It is, it's because it's been pointed out that it's not serving the purpose of the story. So you can absolutely love your work. I envy you, you, if you do. Um, but if there's a piece that you're particularly proud of, you don't have to kill it just because you're proud of it. If it serves the purpose of its, serves its purpose in the story well, then it's not the type of darling they're talking about killing. It's the stuff that you latch on to because you love it, even though it doesn't serve its purpose in the story. And with that, we are finished with this episode of The Taylor Stevens Show. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back in your ear again next Tuesday. See you next week. <laughs>